I'm Alex Mito. And I'm James Milley. And this is The Artist Business Plan, your favorite weekly business podcast for artist entrepreneurs, hosted by Superfine Art Fair. What's going on, business artists? You are listening to The Artist Business Plan, which means that you are certifiably awesome. If you don't know me by now, my name is Alex Mito. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Superfine Art Fair. Superfine, we're the most widespread art fair for artists in the U.S., and we're also one of the top resources for all things art, artists, and of course, marketing of your art. Today, we've got Alexandra Rubenstein here with us on the mic. Alexandra is going to share an awesome masterclass with you today on how to make the art you want while keeping your day job. I don't know about you, but that sounds like a good deal to me. So I'm excited to hear what she has to say. But first, I've got an amazing offer here just for you ABP listeners. Artists, have you ever felt anxious, alone, and not sure about the next move for your career? Good news, those days are over. For nearly six years, we've taken thousands of hours to develop the best art fair model for artists out there. Superfine art fairs have helped hundreds of artists just like you take control of their careers, build relationships with collectors, and create the art income and freedom that you deserve. For a limited time, we are offering you the chance to not only get a great discount on your booth, but also appear on this very podcast as a special guest, reaching thousands of artists, art influencers, collectors, and arts professionals every day. To find out how you can take advantage of this incredible opportunity, just visit www.superfine.world slash offer to learn more. We can't wait to welcome you to the Superfine community and start helping you sell more art today. All right, so we are back here with Alexandra Rubenstein, and we're ready to change the way you think about your art career. Alexandra Rubenstein is a Russian-born, Brooklyn-based conceptual artist working primarily in 2D media. She immigrated to the United States in 1997, earned her BFA from Carnegie Mellon University in 2010, and has been living in New York ever since. Inspired by her adolescent trauma, her work explores the relationships between culture, gender, consumption, and power. She reconstructs familiar and taboo images to create a new narrative, provoking the conforming and to take back control. Alexandra has exhibited nationally, including at the Untitled Space, the Hewitt Gallery of Art, Spring Break Art Fair, Established Gallery, Proto Gallery, Fort Wayne Museum of Art, and at The Wing. She's been featured on Huffington Post, Paper Mag, Cosmopolitan, Juxtapose, Hyperallergic, Forbes, GQ, Playboy, Broad City, Real Time, and Bill Maher, as well as on some podcasts like this one. Welcome to the Artist Business Plan, Alexandra. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. We're glad to have you here. So before we dive into it, I want to ask you something that helps our listeners get to know the real you. What is the earliest memory that you have of art? I think the earliest memory would just be me taking an art class back in Russia. Yeah, I just remember I made, I think, like a little painting. What is it, pointillism when it's like with all the little dots? And everyone was very impressed. (laughs) And I remember feeling great because everyone was impressed. (laughs) I I love that. And then having that memory of that early experience, impressing people with something that you do with your own hand is so cool. And it's such a like fun memory to bring back. Yeah, I I don't know if this is for non-creatives as well. But I think like that out external validation is the thing that keeps you going, (laughs) at least when I was younger. Yeah. I mean, I think external validation, like sometimes it gets a bad rap, but it's actually a really nice motivator. So I, I don't think it's that bad. Alexandra, your your work deals with your trauma and the expectations that are put on women from a young age. How has art helped you process that? When I was first 
started developing my voice and my conceptual vision for my work, you know, starting college. And initially I was always drawn to figurative work and nudity and explicit imagery, which is not particularly uncommon in art school. But I think like at the time I had internalized a lot of the messaging around women and sex. So I think my early work was a bit exploitative and not uh, so challenging as it is now. And yeah, and I think like looking back at my early work, I see that it came from uh, a lot of feelings of powerlessness as a as a young woman. You know, I think I experienced being objectified and over-sexualized and having the space to develop my work. This was, art became a way for me to take back control over my sexuality and my body and almost magnified to the extent that it made other people uncomfortable and protected me in a way. So then, you know, as my work developed, when I moved to New York, I'm going to talk about some of the series and how it developed. One of the early series when I was in New York was looking for Mr. Good Sex. And it was a close-ups of women's faces and pornography. And it showed these forced displays of pleasure as well as boredom. And in that series, I had started moving away from representing female bodies and drawing more attention to the feelings and the experience that women were having that I was connecting to. And then, you know, that was followed by another series that you may be familiar with called The Dream Come True. And that series combined famous men eating pussy. <laughs> and that series, you know, again, I was sort of moving closer and closer towards the female perspective that I wanted. You know, that series was a very literal female perspective. The women were barely visible on the page. They were there just for the context. And the focus of those pieces was the men. And I think that was a big shifting point for me in some ways of drawing more attention to men. And so expressing my, my perspective through men and males, male bodies. So I guess like, you know, these series that I was working on would get a, a response from other people. And I think that response was often telling me what the paintings were doing and what they were not doing. And that was moving me closer in the direction that I wanted to go in terms of what I was trying to accomplish with these pieces. So I knew that I didn't want the women in my pieces to be objectified and sexualized. And I knew that I wanted the woman to be present and to be in control. But I found that painting women and women's bodies was doing more to perpetuate these things I was fighting than challenging them. And of course, like this, this desire to put the woman in control and to reject this objectification comes from a personal experiences. And I think art uh, over time has pushed me in confronting some of my own issues it's not a substitute for therapy. Therapy has definitely been a lot more helpful. But I think working together, it helped me reconcile my own shit. <laughs> but also, um, it gave me a vehicle throughout the years to channel my rage in a more useful way. <laughs> and yeah, I think it was a very good vehicle to understand my feelings and to do something powerful and useful with them. I love that. And I imagine that resonates a lot with a lot of listeners today who are hearing this. And when you look at your work, sometimes like on the surface level, there's there's definitely humor that draws you in and like brings you in to the work. But obviously, there's also this very deep meaning to it. Like, 
how does that juxtaposition between the commentary that you're making and the humor, like, how is that important to you and your work? Humor is another coping strategy for me. You know, like, like many people in pain, <laughs> it's something to hide behind in a way, but it's also a way to engage with people that perhaps don't share your experience, that don't understand your perspective, that don't share it. And I think it makes the work more accessible. You know, I don't think leading with my anger and pain is really going to attract a lot of people. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it will to some extent, but humor breaks down certain barriers. I like that idea of humor breaking down barriers. And I think sometimes I've certainly met some artists who struggle to, I don't know how to say this, but how to draw people into the work and still tell the story they're trying to, to tell realizing that you can make something that maybe on the outside has like one meaning. And then once you're studying it, once you're drawn into it, you start to see like the real meaning behind it can be a very cool way of getting your message out there and also working through your own things that way as well. So in your work, you've used celebrities and social icons, but you've also spoken out about not letting social media influence really phase you. So what are some tips you have for not letting social media take over your creative process? I have to remind myself this as well constantly. You know, I think, again, this is another way in which I think many creatives are ruled by external validation. I think it's really hard putting out any sort of work and making yourself vulnerable to no feedback, to negative feedback. So I think once you get that, you know, when it comes to social media, when you get a like and, you know, an article, any of those things, like I think it's, uh, it feels so good that I think the desire is to recreate a formula or so, whatever, you know, try to figure out what you did in the first place. But I, I don't think that leads to good work. I think it hasn't for me. And I would encourage other people to not get distracted with social media and to try to maintain true to their own journey. I think it's very easy to get carried away. And I just don't think that it's good for anyone's creative development it's limiting and it, it's going to stunt you and your personal growth. I used to work at a photo studio documenting fine art and you just see these artists, you know, that are established, that are still making work, but at some point they have stopped making new work. You know, it's just the same thing framed a little differently. I don't think it's, uh, you're doing yourself any favors by stifling yourself in that way. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, it is obviously there's this amazing tool at our fingertips that we can use to reach people. And like, you know, I, I see positives. I connect with friends. I don't, you know, hear a lot from a lot and I'm able to see what they're doing. But really just like measuring yourself by the stick of Instagram is always going to hold you back. So like, I, I think that's a really good advice for everyone who's listening here. We're going to come right back and Alexandra is going to tell you more about how to keep your day job and make great art and much more. But first, a message from our sponsors. New York City, San Francisco, Los Angeles, and yes, Miami. These are just a few of the places where you and your art can meet your next collector when you take the next step and exhibit with us at Superfine Art Fairs. For nearly six years, we've taken thousands of hours to develop the best art fair model for artists out there. Superfine Fairs have helped hundreds of artists just like you take control of their careers, build relationships with collectors, and create the art income and freedom that you deserve. For a limited time, we're offering you the chance to not only get a great discount on your booth, but also appear on this very podcast as a special guest, reaching thousands of artists, art influencers, collectors, and arts professionals every day. To find out how you can take advantage of this incredible opportunity, just visit www.superfine.world offer to learn more. 
Don't miss the chance to be a part of the top business artist community in the world. So we are back here with Alexandra Rubenstein. So Alexandra, you are an advocate for keeping your day job while making your art career. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little more about that and maybe some helpful things that your day job can teach you about marketing, selling, and running your business? I've never really had a choice. <laughs> I've always had to have a day job. And I think I've grown to appreciate it for many reasons, you know, depending on the kind of day job you have, uh, how the size of the company, you know, a small company will really give you great insight in day-to-day operations of a business, which every artist should know. You know, I think in many ways, being an artist today is one of the most difficult careers, or I mean, I'm sure any creative, because you're, you're a one-person business. You have to take care of everything. You have to do the finances, the budgeting, the accounting. You have to be the studio manager. You have to do all the communication stuff. And then you also have to make the work. Day jobs are great tools for many reasons. You know, some of them are learning how to manage your time because it's very hard maintaining a steady studio practice while having a day job. I think another useful thing you learn is what's good management, what's bad management. If you ever get to a point where you need to hire someone to help you, you know, if you ever get to a point of having a full team, I think management skills are crucial to a success of a business. You're definitely going to learn new skills and it's going to give you some humility, which is super useful. And this is a huge generalization, but, you know, I think people that have the luxury of not having to have a day job tend to have maybe some unrealistic expectations about the world and how the world will receive their work. Having the drive and the motivation that it takes to maintain the studio practice while having a day job is going to make your work stronger and is going to make you more persistent and push you in creating better work. Yeah, I completely agree. And and you're talking about being the all-in-one solopreneur when you're an artist, right? Even as you begin to hire people, like knowing what those people are doing is so important. So if you just like, hire someone and be like, hey, do this for me. You never know what's happening. So like if having that experience and like knowing what's going on around you is something you can really benefit from keeping a job outside of the art world that's happening while you're creating your work and while you're building your own art business at the same time. So I, I actually completely agree with you there. For me personally, I find having financial freedom is very good for my art practice. It gives me the freedom to experiment, to do what I feel like doing, to not be within financial constraints, and to not cater to social media. <laughs> you know what I mean? As we were saying earlier, like it's good to have the freedom to just follow your vision and experiment and fail and make work that maybe doesn't resonate, that is not liked by people. All of that is very important for your own personal development. Yeah, absolutely. And and on the topic of financial freedom, do you have like a top three, top five tips for an artist who's working on financial freedom so that they can make the work they want without that stress? Yeah. I mean, I think number one tip, get a job. <laughs> get a job in something that you're interested in that has some opportunity for financial growth. I think it's also maybe to address an earlier question, I think it's also good to have some space from your practice. So, you know, it could be a job that's close to art, that you can learn skills that will help you directly with your art. But sometimes I think it's also good to have a job that's outside of the art world when you need a break from the art world, you know. So that's my first tip, get a job. My second tip is strengthen your body. Um, (laughs) 
this is from years of sitting and years of painting. You know, I think unless you grow up playing sports and being in good health, you're going to get back problems. You're going to get arm problems and you're going to be like me. So don't be like me. <laughs> start working out when you're young and start working out on your upper body. <laughs> My next tip is learn about personal finance. This probably relates to not just artists, but a lot of people. It takes us a very long time, unless you're really interested in this sort of thing, to, you know, to start investing, to start putting money aside for retirement, to start budgeting properly. So I think get a head start as soon as you can. Figure out a way to make it fun for you. Super important for long-term growth. My next tip is you're never too old to carry around a flask or a couple of beers. If you want to save money, carry your own alcohol to open it. <laughs> I love that. Bars, whatever you go. You know, I used to do it when I was 20. Then I took a break from it when I was working full time. And then I realized, you know what? Fuck it. <laughs> and yeah, my last tip, I think, is price to sell. Again, this is a personal choice. But I think, you know, I see a lot of artists who have studios overflowing with artwork and that are possibly pricing their work a little too high. If you have sold at a certain price point, I totally understand and support not dipping too far low below that. But I think you got to look at your stuff objectively and see what sort of a what sort of a price point makes sense. And is it worth just storing all that work in your in your studio? I love that you're so candid about this, Alexander. And these are really great tips. And I mean, honestly, we get people on here all the time with different tips. And there's some here that we never hear, but I completely agree with like, get a job and that frees you up to make the work you want without that stress and that looming financial pressure. Strengthen your body. We don't talk about that enough. And I can say from an entrepreneur perspective too, like how much has gone to the computer over the past 15 years. I used to be in the restaurant business. I was on my feet every day. Now I'm behind a computer like hours a day and learn about personal finance. Super key. And I like this one, carry your own liquor. If you want to save money, there's nothing wrong with that. Get a flask. I don't know if it's legal, but it's fine. Take advantage of me, man. It's post-COVID. People, everyone's drinking outside. And then the last one, price to sell. Again, like you said, Alexander, a personal choice, but one that I happen to agree with because I've known artists who their studios are just jam-packed with work and it becomes a mental strain where they don't create anymore because they becomes a storage unit instead of a place to create. There's an intangible value to someone parting with money for your work and putting it in their home. That boosts your spirits and that boosts your ability to sell and be confident more. So if you're pricing to sell, if you start to see your work backing up, it could be you're not doing the right things or you're not in the right channels to sell it, but it could also be that you're not pricing it to sell. So I would say I tend to agree with that. So thank you for mentioning it. So Alexander, this has been an amazing conversation. Let's bring it home for our listeners out there. What is one thing that our listeners should do right now to really start energizing their careers? Start painting celebrities eating pussy. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Okay. So keep that one in mind. And to all of you artists out there, Alexandra has been here with us today sharing her amazing perspective with you all. Like I said, you're going to want to go back and take notes, which you can do on our website at www.superfine.world. To connect with Alexandra and to see her amazing work, you can follow her at The Rubenstein on Instagram. That'll be in, in on the show notes as well. You can also visit therubenstein.com. 
As always, remember that we are Super Fine Art Fair on Instagram. We always appreciate it when you share us whenever you're listening to and enjoying the artist business plan. It could be in your studio, in the car, whatever. Well, don't take a selfie in the car. But otherwise, just share your, share it with us. We'd love to see it on Instagram. We also really appreciate it if you take just a moment of your time and write us a review on Apple Podcasts. That's how most people find us. And when you leave us those ratings and reviews, it helps others just like yourselves find us and listen to us and our guests. As always, I want to wrap up this class by sharing a quick quote with you all. And the quote is, desperation is a necessary ingredient to learning or creating anything, period. If you ain't desperate at some point, you ain't interesting. And that's Jim Carrey. Alexandra, it has been such a pleasure having you with us today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, you're very welcome. We're glad to have you. Everybody else, have an awesome rest of your day. Remember to stay on top of your artist business plan. Get out there and make it happen. Thanks for joining us for another episode of The Artist Business Plan, a weekly business podcast for artist entrepreneurs brought to you by Superfine Art Fair. Hosted by Superfine CEO Alex Mito and co-founder slash professional artist James Milley, join us and leaders in the art, marketing, and business arenas each week for tips, tricks, and value bombs designed to help you thrive and sell more art. For more information on applying to Superfine Art Fair, as well as recordings of this in all of our past podcasts, just visit www.superfine.world. We love to hear what you have to say, so just follow us on Instagram at superfineartfair and shoot us a message to let us know you're listening. Looking for a more personal connection or want to exhibit at an upcoming fair? Just shoot us an email at artistsmakingmoney@superfine.world and we'll get right back to you. That's artistsmakingmoney@superfine.world.